0: Welcome to the podcast of The Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit TheVineOC.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone. And uh, again, it's so great to have you with us, especially if you're new with us. We are going to turn now and look together at God's Word, because we believe that through his word that God wants to speak to us, that he wants to encourage us, and that he wants to equip us and, and form us. And so we're going to turn to look at his word together now. Now, although I'm here leading the service, I'm actually on vacation and study leave until the end of July. And so I've invited a friend, uh, a, a dear friend, to, to bring the message today, Gare Jones. If you don't know Gare, he is the lead pastor of Vintage Church LA, one of our close sister churches and they're just doing an amazing work in LA and uh, Gare's just been a friend for many years and he's also the regional leader of our family of churches and he's just an amazing pastor and leader and friend so we're just so blessed to have him here with us and I know you'll be blessed but with that said let me pass it over now to Gare.
1: Hi Divine Church it's Gare here from Vintage. It's a great delight to be with you today, to be preaching with you, and we're praying for you. We're so thankful for all the stories of what God is doing in your church. We're so proud of how you've responded to what the Holy Spirit is leading you all in, and just the great testimonies we hear. We're praying for Michael and all the team there, that you feel refreshed, you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you see his guidance leading you into the great things that he has for you as a church. And so it's exciting for us to uh, be together this morning. Well, as we turn to God's word together now, why don't we just pray together? So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you guide us, you encourage us. And most importantly, you meet us in your word. We long every day to meet with you. We need you. We thank you that you have not just revealed yourself to us, but you have revealed yourself as a loving father who loves to be in relationship with us. And this morning, as we gather around your word, Heavenly Father, we pray you meet us. Encourage us, strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're continuing in our series on the book of Colossians. And this morning, we're going to consider the theme, stepping into your ministry. Stepping into the ministry that God has called you uniquely to do. God has called all of us. He's commissioned all of us. He's created each one of us for purpose. And this morning I want you to consider and for us to consider together as we look at God's word, what is God calling and commissioning you to do? In this passage, Paul is describing his commissioning, his calling. He's writing from a house, he's under house arrest in Rome around AD 60 to 62. He's writing to this church in Colossae who are generally new believers. And as he's describing his own ministry, his own commissioning, his own calling, he's encouraging them and giving them the ingredients of what it's like to be called by God, what it's like to be commissioned by God. Many people say to me, Gare, what is my ministry? What does God want for me? Well, in this passage, Paul is describing what it's like to step into the ministry God has for you. Step into the ministry he has created you for. So let's look at what it means to step into your ministry. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul gives us four ingredients for his ministry and for our ministry. The first ingredient is this. Your ministry is for the sake of others. Your ministry is for the sake of others. You have been created by God to make a difference and impact in the lives of people around you, to bless them, to grow them, to invest in them, to build them up, to spur them on in Christ, to coach them. Whatever it is, God has created you uniquely to minister for the sake of others around you. Paul says this, now I rejoice what I am suffering for you. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, the church, for you. I become your servant. I am laying down my life. I am called to serve you, that I may present you mature in Christ. Paul says his ministry is for the sake of others, and so is mine, and so is yours. The destination of your ministry is not yourself. That your ministry is not making much of yourself. Your ministry is not project self, but project others. This is how it's always been from the very beginning. Do you remember when Abraham was called and commissioned by God? He said, "I am going to bless you to be a blessing to others." With Jesus, he commissioned his disciples, "Now go and make disciples of others." He then said to the crowd, "You are to be salt and light in the city around you." We live in a very narcissistic culture. We live in a culture that makes life about me, myself, and I. But Paul says the joy of life, the joy of your ministry is realizing that you are blessed to be a blessing to others. God has called you to use your gifts, your time, your talent, your treasure, your personality, your experiences, all the things that have shaped you. So that you may minister to other people, bless other people around you. Your ministry is for the sake of others. I believe right now God is calling His church, universally but also uniquely us, to minister for the sake of others, to minister to communities of color that are feeling oppressed and are feeling held back and are feeling unjustly treated, that we are to minister for the sake of others. I wonder. In what way God is calling you to minister to others? Many people say, yeah, how do I discern where God is calling me? I know I'm not to spend my time, my talent, my treasure on myself. I know I'm not just to pursue the calling of leisure, pleasure, and treasure for myself. I know I'm not supposed to worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. I am to step into the ministry that God has for me, which is to bless others, to minister to others. But where do I start? Can I suggest you start exactly where you're at? Look around you, look at the people God has already brought into your life, and look at, Lord, how can I minister the gospel? How can I disciple, how can I bless the people in my life? It starts with your children, perhaps, or your spouse, or your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, that God has called you to invest in them, the the industry in which you live and work. And I used to, as you know, be a lawyer, I used to be in business, and I had to start there. How can I be a salt and light in the legal industry? How can I be salt and light in the marketing world where I was for a season? Start where you're at. And start with what God's given you. Your unique shape. Bless others with the gifts that he's given you. Bless others with the experience, the wisdom he's given you. Bless others with the personality he's given you. Look at where you're at and look at what God has already given you. So, Lord, how can I use this to bless others around me? Your ministry starts where you're at and with what God has given you. But you've been given a ministry for the sake of others. Secondly, your ministry is vital. Your ministry is vital. God has given you a significant and important ministry. It's not semi-important. It's not kind of important. And you're certainly not an extra in the kingdom of God. You know, extras are there in the background, not particularly doing much. And the real actors are elsewhere. So often we can rule ourselves out because we don't think we're one of the real actors in God's kingdom. We're just kind of making up the numbers somewhere in the background. But not in the kingdom of God. There are no extras. Your ministry is unique, is vital, is meaningful, is significant. Paul writes this in verse 25. He says, I have become its servant, the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, Paul is saying that this message of the gospel has been entrusted to Paul to proclaim, to declare to the Gentiles who don't know about it. It's been a mystery; they never knew the gospel was for them. And the staggering news is this: Paul was commissioned by God with his vitally important ministry to deliver the gospel to people who've never heard it. It's staggering that God would entrust someone like Paul with the importance of this ministry. But it shows you how God works, that he entrusts us all with a ministry which is vital, a ministry which is significant, a ministry that is so meaningful that it's staggering that he would entrust it to the likes of you and me. Paul felt the weight of this responsibility. He says in verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And so it's to this end, I strenuously work. I contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He says, you have asked me, God, to present to you people mature in Christ. They've never heard of you. You've given me the message of Christ, and you want me at the end of the day to present to you these people mature in Christ. Oh, my word, I better get to work. I can't believe you've given me this gift. This importance of ministry. And so I better get to work. You have been given a significant commissioning by God, a significant ministry in God. Don't judge the significance of your ministry based on its visibility. Paul didn't have a huge visibility. He's in house arrest. He didn't know his impact. He thought, oh, I'm just going to travel around and plant some churches. No one's ever heard of me. No one will ever hear of me. I'm just going to plant these churches. I'm now in prison, but yeah, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter to encourage this church. He was invisible. And often we don't step into our ministry because we don't think it's meaningful because it's not visible. We don't get people applauding. We don't seem to be on the platform. We don't seem to be on social media. We don't seem to be on the conference circuit. We don't seem to be the the leaders in the industry in which we're in. And so we hold back thinking, My ministry is not really that significant until it's like that. And so we hold back. But what I found and what we see in the Bible is most ministry that is impactful in the world is invisible. Most ministry that God calls us to is not in the public case, is not going to fulfill the criteria of success in the world. It's being faithful. It's being obedient in the margins, in the areas where people don't see. And God takes that obedience and that faithfulness to outwork your ministry. And he uses it to make an eternal impact way beyond what we could ever have imagined. Nicky Gumbel tells the story of a young man who stepped into his ministry. His name is Albert McMakin, and Nikki Gumbel writes this on the Alpha Course. He says, Albert McMakin was a 24-year-old farmer who had recently come to faith in Christ. He was so full of enthusiasm that he filled a truck with people and took them to a meeting to hear about Jesus. There was a good-looking farmer's son whom he was especially keen to get to the meeting, but this young man was hard to persuade. He was busy falling in and out of love with different girls and did not seem to be attracted to Christianity. Eventually, Albert McMakin managed to persuade him to come by asking him to drive the truck. When they arrived, Albert's guest decided to go in and was spellbound and began to have thoughts he had never known before. He went back again and again until one night he went forward and gave his life to Jesus. That man, the driver of the truck, was Billy Gray. The year was 1934, and since then, Billy Graham has led thousands upon thousands upon thousands to faith in Jesus Christ. Billy Graham made a significant impact in the kingdom. But so did Albert And I want to encourage us all that we are all Albert McMakins. Faithfully going about what God is calling us to do, not knowing the eternal impact that it will make. But whatever God has called you to do is vital, is significant, and will make an eternal impact in the kingdom of God. Thirdly, Paul says your ministry will always involve joyful suffering. Joyful suffering. He says in verse 24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in re- regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul's ministry involved both joy and pain. As I think of that, a shout out to my fellow 80s fans and Rob Bates and DJ Easy Rock. But if you know what that means, I love you if you don't Google it. Uh, but Paul's ministry always involved both joy and pain. In fact, not separate categories but joyful pain, joyful suffering. This makes no sense to a culture that tries to avoid pain at all cost. Of course, Paul is not saying he enjoys suffering. He enjoys pain. He's not some kind of masochist or sadist. And much pain is not to rejoice in. Much pain is to be, to be fought to get rid of. That's what Jesus came to do with so much pain. But Paul knows that there's a a specific type of suffering that he does rejoice in, because he knows that there is no advance of the kingdom of God that doesn't go unopposed. No advance of the kingdom goes unopposed. That when we step into our ministry, we will feel opposition. We will feel the spiritual battle. And Paul says, I rejoice in those moments because I know the fruit of this battle. I know it's worth it for the people who don't know Jesus. I know that this suffering will end in fruit of the kingdom of God. He says, I rejoice because I'm suffering for you. And he's thinking of the Colossians and going, you're worth the suffering. I'm sacrificing my freedom. I'm sacrificing. What everyone else in the world is enjoying right now, I'm sacrificing that. But you know what? I rejoice because it's worth it. I'm thinking of you when I'm doing it. I'm thinking of what the impact is in your life when I'm through this suffering. You can't step into your ministry if you aren't prepared to step into suffering. For Paul, that suffering felt like imprisonment, torture, being shipwrecked and rejected by many. For you and for me, we may not suffer in that kind of way, but we still suffer. It'll feel like rejection, betrayal, being misunderstood, missing out on things, inconvenience, missing out on the leisure, pleasure, and treasure that maybe so others think we should have, or popularity, we miss out on that. There are things that we will step into when we step into our ministry, because no advance of the kingdom goes unopposed. And you can't step into a ministry if you aren't prepared to step into suffering. Of course, we are the anti-suffering culture. Everything we do is to alleviate pain, to alleviate suffering, and much of that is good. But if you avoid the pain of ministry, you will avoid ministry. Reluctance to face and endure suffering is often the greatest limitation on our ministries. I read a great book in the last few years called Leadership Pain. By Samuel Chand, and he said this when you interpret your pain as bigger, more important, more threatening, more comprehensive than your ministry, you will redefine your ministry down to the threshold of your pain. You will redefine your ministry down to the threshold of your pain. If you want to step into your ministry, You have to know how to handle the suffering that comes with it. And not only handle it, but go to God with it. Find his strength in it. And not see it as something to step out of ministry, but to rejoice that this is a fruit of the advance of the kingdom in your ministry. William Wilberforce was only age 27 when he sensed, God's call to fight against the inhuman and degrading slave trade. 10 million slaves left Africa for the, for the plantations in the year 1787. And in that year, he put down a motion in government in England about the slave trade to end it. It was not popular. But he said this, so enormous, so dreadful did its wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for the abolition of slavery. He said, let the consequences be what they would. But from that time, I determined I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. When it became clear that Wilberforce was not going to let the issue die, pro-slavery forces targeted him. He was vilified. Opponents spoke of the damnable doctrine of Wilberforce and his hypocritical allies. The opposition became so fierce against him. One friend feared that one day he would read about Wilberforce being broiled by Indian plantation masters or barbecued by slave trade merchants. But Wilberforce was not put off by the suffering that came with his ministry. Anti-slavery bills were debated in government in 1789, 1791, 1792, 1794, 1796, 1798, and 1799. They all failed. In 1831, he sent a message to the Anti-Slavery Society in which he said, our motto must be perseverance, and ultimately I trust the Almighty will crown our efforts with success he did. In July 1833, the Abolition of Slavery Bill was passed in government. Three days later, Wilberforce died. God is raising up a new generation of William Wilberforces, of Pauls, of Christians who have accepted their ministry and are willing to suffer for it. Willing to sacrifice for it, willing to endure and persevere, because they know no they know no advance of the kingdom goes unopposed. And as Paul said, I rejoice when I'm suffering for you. And when we love what God loves, when we feel the pain of injustice and suffering that we see in our nation right now, when we feel that. We step into ministry and we say we rejoice in the suffering that we're going to feel for you. Ministry involves joyful suffering. And then finally, your ministry is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. Your ministry is a partnership of the Holy Spirit. Verse 29, Paul said this To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works. In me. Somehow, Paul is mixing together his own efforts and the power of Christ. That your ministry will always be a partnership between you and the Holy Spirit. I've struggled to understand in my ministry, in my life, how this partnership works. For years, I didn't get it. And what's helped me is the analogy between a a rowing boat, a speed boat, and a sailboat. In a rowing boat, you're doing all the work yourself. You're rowing, and you If you want to get from A to B, if you want to get there, you need to do it yourself. It's all down to you. You work hard. You grow your gift. You, you, you know, maximize your potential, and you work harder. And that was me for many years. And all that does is actually either bring pride because you think you're doing it in your own effort. Or it comes to disillusionment because I don't make it in my own effort. And you're, you burn out and you flame out. But that's not what ministry is. It's not about you in your effort by itself. But neither is ministry like a speedboat, which is so easy to swing the pendulum and go, you know what? It's not about me. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about God's power. And like a speedboat, you just sit there and let the engine do all the work, and you can have a gin and tonic and say hi to your friends and do some TikToks while the boat is doing all the work. You know, we can hear that, right? We can hear, hey, it's not about effort, it's about grace. You know, Let go, and let God care. But that's not ministry either. Paul said, I strenuously work. And God is not a nanny God who's going to do everything for you. He wants a partnership. Paul says, I strenuously work with the power of Christ. And what helps me put these two things together is a sailboat. Because in a sail in a sailboat, you're not going anywhere without the wind. You need the wind of the Holy Spirit. When God calls you, you can't go anywhere without him. But if you don't do your part, if you don't raise the sail, then you're not going to catch the wind. And if you watch these amazing sailboats and these amazing things that go race around the world, you realize how hard they're working to discern where the wind is going, to raise the sail, and to to maximize the strength of the sail. And, And then they catch the wind and they go 100 miles an hour. See, that's what Paul is saying. I strenuously work. I grow my gift. I'm discerning where the Holy Spirit is going. I'm raising my sail. I'm fixing the stuff that's broken. And I'm making sure that when the wind comes, we're off. And church, that's what we're called to do, to partner with the Holy Spirit. It's always him. But he's calling us to raise our sail. He's call, calling us as a church right now to raise our sail in the fight against racism in this country. In our church, in our lives, in society, he's calling us to raise the sail. But in other ways, in your own life right now, in your own ministry, he's calling you to raise the sail that you may catch the wind of the Spirit. That in partnership with him, you step into your destiny, you step into your ministry. Your ministry is for the sake of others. Your ministry is vital. Your ministry is going to cause and bring suffering. But God is with you. And he's going to empower you. Why don't we pray together? So Father, as we step into ministry, we thank you that you've called each and every one of us for a calling for a ministry in your name. I just pray now that you come by your spirit to help us discern what you're doing and saying to each one of us of how we can step into our calling, being commissioned by you. I just pray against any sense of worthlessness and insecurity that you have called each one of us to significance in your kingdom. I pray against my own tendency to do all of my strength, but just to wait on the wind of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, just come now. And we pray you give us a burden for who you're calling us to serve. Our ministry is always for the sake of others. So now break our hearts, Father, that we will endure, that we will persevere, that we will joyfully endure the suffering that will come because we are compelled by love for what you love. So Father, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Let it begin. And be fueled by an end with love. Because that's what you've done for us. That you loved us so much. It says in Hebrews, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy was us. So break our hearts now. That we may step in to outwork the calling you've given to each one of us. In Jesus' name,
0: Amen.